Pod Only Knows is a Cage Club podcast. For other smart podcasts on culture, pop, and otherwise, go to cageclub.me. You can contact us via email at pok at cageclub.me. You can find me on Twitter at ProbablyRealJB. And you can find me at Kelly underscore J underscore Baker. And you can find the show on Twitter at PodOnlyKnowsPod. The show is written and produced by us. Welcome to Pod Only Knows. I'm Kelly Baker. I'm John Brooks. All right, John. It's still December. It is still the holiday season. How are you hanging in? Uh, I I am coming to you live from. You might be able to see over my shoulder, but like, <laughs> it's the it's the gift room. Um, so the office slash recording studio is also a slash place where all the presents are stored. Yeah, room this time of year. So I'm surrounded by boxes and wrapping paper and like brightly colored children's things. Yeah, no, it's. It's off camera for me, but that's also like the corner of my office that you can't see is also the gift room. Yeah. So uh-huh. it's same for me. It's office <laughs> slash recording studio slash hidden everything from the yeah. teen and tween mm-hmm. that they just had, it hadn't occurred to them to like come check my office, which is cool, man. They don't listen to this podcast. So they don't know. But like, no. yeah. um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's where everything is and has yet to been wrapped. So um, even yeah, though if they care are... more about you and what you do, then they'd know, you then know, they'd know where the presents but, are. But, but they don't. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Teens, so it doesn't matter. No. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, Santa's still very much a thing. Well, it's it definitely the last year for my oldest for, for Santa yep, to exist. Same way for my youngest. I think we're yeah. on like the precipice, right? Where it's yeah. very much like any day now it's going to be like wait a second there's been a lot of questions and a lot of youtube videos that she's watched that um are (laughs) are starting to give away you know she's like is santa a time lord is that how he is that how does he regenerate amazing and he has a TARDIS. Is that is his sleigh a TARDIS? I'm like, yeah, that's yep, sure. That's it. You nailed it. You got it. You nailed it. That's- Last year, I had to actually convince my now ten year old not to set a trap for Santa because mm-hmm. because Bro was going to set like an elaborate trap to determine the reality of Santa. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to like step back from this. Like, this is how you don't get any gifts, right? Like, yeah, you the naughty Santa, list can be, can like, be added to at the last yeah, second. Like, like, automatic <laughs> naughty listing. Right, right like, this is how everything goes wrong, friend. Everything. He's, he's magical. He's going to get out and then you're just not going to get presents because he's going to yep. be, yes, yeah. that's neat. But that's it was, a pretty easy one to get out yeah, of, I think. But it was really speaking. funny where I was just like, I just had this moment where I was like, we're getting close, right? But like, we're getting real close yeah, to like yeah, yeah. the end of um, yeah. the end of this. And then my teenager, of course, is just like, has w- way over this and rolls eyes sure. as we do this still because <laughs> that's what teenagers do <laughs> well the oldest just turned 10 and i think she's suspending disbelief at this point like yeah. for her sisters but like oh that's sometime, very kind sometime over the next year or so she's gonna you know we'll we'll, we'll have we'll have the talk uh, and then and then can collude with you on yes the, right, right. Yeah. she can hide the freaking elf like do absolutely. you have an elf 
Oh, oh God, yes. no. Oh, yeah. no. Mm-hmm. It went wrong, mm-hmm. friend. It went wrong. We have an elf. You have to have an elf. You can't not have an elf. Like, every kid has an elf. And if we you don't dodged have an elf, it. It's like, I know. We dodged you, like, it. You got the right, like, years. But, like, they yeah. talk They talk in the morning. Like, if you didn't have an elf, a kid would be like, why, does, why, did, why am I unloved? Uh, every yeah. other kid has the elf. No, for a little while, my youngest had an invisible elf, right? Oh, that's you know? smart. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a pretend elf. And I was like, okay, cool. You can move it in your mind. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the coolest kind of elf. You can't that's even see it. That's that's how elf. good it is at hiding. It has yeah. a cloaking device. Um, yeah. No, it's funny because also like they don't, like these elf on the shelf people never told us how we are to like, like what's the lore of why mom and dad didn't have an elf growing up. And like, we had to be like, oh, because the population is like twice what it is then now. And now Santa needs help monitoring. Oh my gosh. I didn't even think about like how you have to develop your own mythology for it. It's either like lie and say we had an elf, which we didn't, or be like, no, and here's why now it's a new thing that Santa suddenly needs help. That's super funny. Yeah, and it wouldn't be so bad, but like my youngest kids love to write letters to Bing as well. And it's like, I gotta, like, she's gotta write back. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Like yeah. it goes on and on. <laughs> now, our the Tooth Fairy time. had correspondence with them because our uh, Tooth, yeah. fairy tooth Fairy was not a particularly good Tooth Fairy and was okay. not great at like having money around. So periodically, oh. our Tooth Fairy had to be like, sorry, kiddos, like, I'm running low. I will like get this to you. This is Here's like our listeners are like, man, Kelly is like great at this whole parenting. <laughs> it is kind of relevant to what we're talking about today. So like, it we'll, is. You know, yeah, we'll get not- there. We're not we're not completely off course here. We're but, not um, off course. We're not off course. But like, anyhow. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, ours, ours also, like, write letters to the Tooth Fairy as in addition to getting... So, like, there's that, oh, too. I'm not, oh, my Like, gosh. I'm really... I try to, like... I, I, I try to make sure they don't have time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, don't forget to put your tooth under your pillow. And, like, oh, uh, too bad it's bedtime. We don't have time to write letters That's to the That's right. No, 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 no letters. No letters. Yeah. Right. But yeah. my, my twins' teeth have been, like, falling out like Niagara Falls lately. It's just, yeah. it's, they're just all coming out. You're like, so. there are too many teeth. There are too many teeth. The tooth fairy yeah. can't keep up. Right. Yeah. Like, it's just, <laughs> can't. And it's $3. <gasps> that's, that's what Whoa, the tooth fairy Oh, man. No, I'm. No, our tooth fairy is cheap. Yeah. She's like, it's a dollar per tooth. I know. So, yeah. No, I read mm. an article uh, a while ago about, like, tooth fairy inflation, and I was just like, it, it's this thing. is the world that we live they, in, right? They have friends who's and again, it's like all this shit, like, they talk at school about who gets, and we haven't, we need a parental meeting to, like, figure out the elf situation and the tooth fairy situation and, like, who can write letters and how, it's. One of their friends got $20 for the first tooth and five for each additional tooth. And I'm like, $20 for the first tooth? Are you kidding me? You got a different fairy. I'm sorry. Your fairy. Yeah, no, your fairy. Flat rate your, your fairy is like tooth. flush, man. Like, that's wild. <laughs> oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. Okay. Anyways. Um, Anyway, moving on. What is <laughs> what's your what's your good news today? So the good news today is that we have 
holiday concert season. So this is yes. good news and also like the not so good news. So we yep. have already done um by the time this airs, we will have done two holiday concerts and one play um for the Baker family. So um Very we nice. sat through a middle school slash high school holiday concert, which like like band or like chorus? Band, band. So band. so we're band yeah. family, right? right. So right, right, band right. concert. Um that was uh, adorable, right? Um, you know, when you listen to the sixth graders play who have only been playing for like a couple of months, you know? I can hear it in my head. You can hear it in your head. You can kind of imagine <laughs> it, you know? Um, I don't need you, to. I've heard it. I've heard it. You, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you, know you, get to the, you get through them to get to the high schooler who is your child. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But it was a lovely concert. We're um, going to another one tonight um, at a Christmas city, like, festival outside which will be i'm sure very lovely and hopefully not rainy um and then um our teenager is in snow white um and is one of yeah is one of the seven dwarves so we have that this weekend so it's a lot of like holiday pageantry plus play theater and stuff and i somehow ended up making the program for this (laughs) i don't know how that happened Oh uh, yeah, it's I, weird how those those things I don't get. I know how I got volunteered you for that, but you know, I'm not like a Microsoft Word goddess, and I'm yeah. not like a layout person, <laughs> so it's gonna be like the world's worst like theater program. But right. it will be done. So, yeah. um, but my teenager made the cover art, um, and that is amazing. That, that so yeah. yeah, so that's so the cover is going to be beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> everything else and everything else is gonna look terrible (laughs) but you know what everybody will know who played what like at least i got like the basics down so that's all that really matters but yeah Yeah. so our good news is we're doing all the like final stuff of the semester like everything that's come to a culmination all of like the hard work that kind of stuff and you know we're also doing all of the damned dress up days to the end of the world kind of thing right now mm-hmm. so everything mm-hmm. is a santa hat or wearing lights or like it's dressing ugly up sweater like the day for my or ugly today. sweater yep. day yeah you know yep. so that sort of thing so the joy of me frantically trying to figure out those kind of things yeah yeah <laughs> where i'm like well, where do i find a grinch shirt i don't know man <laughs> like Let's hope that Amazon has it. Yeah, yeah kind of anywhere at know, this point. Anywhere. The Grinch, Grinch stuff is now ubiquitous yeah. in a way. That so, um, before, but that's so. that's my good news is that we're doing that. And it yeah. pretty much I'm just excited that it means that we're about to be on holiday break. So we're yep. so close yep. that I can taste it. So yep. I'm excited about that. So what's your good news? Well, I actually am on holiday break as of what? yesterday. What? Yeah, I know. I know. Florida? How dare you? No, well, this is because I teach at a private school. So oh, we get okay. Three weeks. We All get right. three weeks off for, for, for Christmas. But um, yeah, and like yesterday, man, I so yesterday was the first day of, of break. And I literally, like, I felt like hungover yesterday. Like it was, I was yeah. so tired because it was that like first day of after several months of just like nonstop, right? Um, yep. And it was, oh man, I really struggled <laughs> to get through the day yesterday. Uh, but no, I was going to, I, I have, I was going to do one thing, but I, I feel like if I do, I'll, I'll, we'll be here all day. So I'm going to save that for a different episode. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, but I do want to say, because uh, it has gotten a lot of like negative 
attention or 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 response but we took the girls to see the marvels last weekend and it, it was good it's so good it's so good it's so good yes go see the marvels it is uh it's fantastic like it is it's 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 funny and creative and the and the the three main cast members are t- terrific together and like and there's like, it turns into a musical at one point and like yeah just... <laughs> no it's so it's so bizarre right yeah. in some ways but also so good i thought yes. it was great you know? I, yes. yeah it's great um and it's not, it's like not that long like it's not even two yeah, hours long. i mean compared to other marvel movies like yes please give me an hour and a half um i will take yeah. it you know yeah um, it's like an hour and 45 minutes it's 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 breezy it's one of those movies like i really love the first ant-man movie as well like i like the uh-huh. ones that are like not the stakes are like high but not like the end of the world right you know like everybody dies sort of high so yeah they're like trying to steal the sun or something but like you know it's not for marvel it's not that high of stakes and and it's just sort of a very self-contained story and and not super depressing either no yes Yes, it's very funny and it's very like light and um and there's like a you know a sort of like sad plot twist at the end but you know it's going to be okay and and whatever else and um yeah uh it's really and i adore miss marvel like that character is just so like genuine and earnest like there's just something so adorable about the way they've written that character that i just love anything that she's in and just the kind of hero worship that she has for Mm -hmm. captain marvel is just i mean their scenes together are so (laughs) cute right like just so cute and my kids are in love with the flurkins too so like (laughs) (laughs) and there's a lot of them (laughs) there are a lot of them if you liked if you liked uh goose in the first movie boy there's a a bunch of flurkins uh, this time around no iman valani is incredible like she's she's such a star and uh, i really just hope that hollywood doesn't like fuck her up i mean well by, by which i mean like figures out how to use her properly um yeah. and like yeah. cast her in the right things and 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 does not take this absolute like jewel of a movie star that they have and ruin it because um i i, I worry that she will not her talents will not be like put to good use right uh but she's going to be basically like carrying the Marvel franchise for the next several several iterations, I would think. So um, the, the the movie ends, spoiler alert, and if you don't want to know this, skip forward like 15 seconds. Uh, the movie ends with the post-credit stinger of her putting together the Young Avengers. So um, that's going to be, she's going to be around for a while. But uh, yeah, she's amazing. I just like, I, I loved the series that she was in. Um, I thought that was fantastic. I just, I love her in this movie. She's She's awesome. It's a great movie. Um, go see it. And I'm really so, so pissed off <laughs> at the like toxic fanboy backlash. Yes. It. Yeah. No, it is. It's so just rage inducing that the way yeah. that this happens. Right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we made sure to go see it in the theaters. Not that like our four ticket sales did <laughs> anything, you know? No, I- yeah, like it was, it was almost like I was determined to like give it as much money as possible, and I was like, "We're going to go see this in the theater, um, no matter what." So, um, yeah. for that very reason, I'm like, "No, I, I, I support this movie, and I hate toxic fandom." And yep, yes, yes. Thing. So, anyway, moving on to today's, today's topic, switching 
switching tracks gears uh yeah switching gears in a in a, in a fairly big way so uh we talked last time we talked about the war on christmas we are going to talk about a very specific um element a sort of forgotten element uh of christmas today and you know you you mentioned how christmas is not your favorite holiday because this is true Halloween is and you like spooky season and I said to you that actually you know one of the things I like about Christmas is that as a British person the spooky season is Christmas and I know and so I'm thrilled about today's episode because yeah. like let's put the spooky in Christmas <laughs> <laughs> for Americans yes right? yeah, yeah 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 bring it bring it bring it back and I and I have some thoughts about the fact that like there seems to be an American yearning for this in some recent like pop culture developments as well we'll 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 talk about that later on but to help us uh navigate the history of spooky season and christmas particularly when it comes to the tradition of the victorian ghost story um are two people who know something about this dr sarah cleto and dr Brittany warman are both award-winning folklorists teachers and writers with a combined 26 years in higher education and over three dozen publications together they founded the and i'm so glad that on their website one of their faqs on their website is how do you pronounce this i was um, to you <laughs> The Carter Haw the Carter Haw School of Folklore and the Fantastic. So Sarah and Brittany, thank you for for joining us. Uh it's it's wonderful to have you. Thank you so thank much, you so for, much for having us. Um we usually talk to our more academic guests. Uh we asked them first why they why they chose this path that they are on. Most a lot of those people are in religious studies. Um you are in religious studies adjacent uh and of course the answer is always i do it for the money so but let me, let, yeah. let me ask you guys what made both of you pursue the golden paved path that is folklore yes it was all about the money definitely it's all about the money yeah <laughs> just say the vast wealth and endless <laughs> endless fame that comes no, so um sarah and i both uh came to folklore through our love of fairy tales we are we grew up with fairy tales and we're always absolutely fascinated with them, especially the ways that they get retold and twisted and how powerful they can be because it's they often fly under the radar. And all of that was just really fascinating to us. And we loved learning about that kind of thing. And when we both discovered separately that folklore was a whole field that you could get into and look at these sort of stories and traditions and music and all kinds of stuff that are sort of the informal art that we create together as as different groups we were so excited by that and realized how important and fun it could be to study that so we actually met in grad school um we both got our master's degrees at George Mason and, um, you know, instantly realized that we had a lot of the same interests and um, we were lucky enough to go on to our PhD programs at Ohio State after that, where we specialized in 19th century folklore and stuff like that. Yes, people were calling us the fairy tale twins, apparently, from like our MA program and on. It it continues to this day. Um, we're not mad about it. So 
yeah, it, it really was fairy tales that kind of got us on this path. Mm-hmm. Um, and when both of us realized like, oh my, you can study this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they'll let you study <laughs> this. let I you do of, this. Yes. Yeah. I, I very much sort of stumbled into it backwards. I mean, I think frankly, that's sort of the story of, of Carter, huh? Our business and everything is like stumbling yeah. into it backwards. But I showed up to a class my very last semester of undergrad, and I knew I wanted to go into grad school, but I didn't really know what I wanted to specialize in because I wanted to specialize in everything, and apparently that's not allowed. (laughs) And the class was um, a course on eco-feminist fairy tales. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, we, we can we can do this, like, seriously? And my professor could tell that I was utterly enchanted and addicted. And she basically just like sent me off to the MA program where I met Brittany. And that is how this whole thing started. <laughs> and can you tell us a little bit about Carter Hall and your business model? Because I love the idea that you have a school where you study fairy tales and you teach people about fairy tales. I was on your site today and John had warned me that I was going to want to take all your classes and he was not wrong um, because I am um, definitely into like the spooky and the supernatural. And so it was one of those things where I was like, I would have taken this class and I would have taken this class and I would take this one. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about it so our listeners can understand um, what y'all are doing and um, the model behind um, education? the public on these um, topics? Of course. Um, well, first of all, please join us anytime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and like literally anyone who is listening to this, who's like, this sounds cool. Like this Carter Hall is for everyone. Um, we've taught people at this point on at least five different continents, maybe, maybe more since the last time we checked. Um, but really the, the whole thing kind of started as a joke. I mean, it did start as a joke, actually. Um, Brittany and I were, were very, very jet lagged. Uh, we were at a conference in the UK and couldn't sleep. And we were thinking about the academic job market and just how, like, you know, like if you know, you know um, mm-hmm. how dismal it is. And one of us just like yelled into the darkness, something like, it would just be better if we just had our own school. And we both had a really good laugh over it. And then we were like, wait a minute, what if we had our own school? And like, we had to turn all the lights back on and like started taking notes on our our laptops and got no sleep before our, our conference presentations the following day. But that whole idea really grew out of the fact that So many people were asking us when we were teaching college courses at Ohio State as part of our PhD program, oh my God, what you're teaching sounds so cool. Like that has never been offered to me. I've never had a way to take a class like that. I wish I could take your classes. I mean, we're like, well, maybe people out there on the internet would would like to take our classes. And um, it was really important to us to make it, you know, as accessible as possible because, you know, college courses are expensive. And a lot of the time you might have to move to another state, to another country to get, you know, the specialization that you want. And so we kind of took it on um, to try and make really, really great folklore education as widely available as we could, um, like for a low price point for anybody out there who just was curious and wanted to learn and wanted to have a lot of fun while learning. Like we're we're very goofy in our, yeah. <laughs> in our classes. So, you know, just really trying to 
appreciate, you know, sort of the, the, the magic of what folklore can offer because folklore really is like the fabric of everyday life. And if that's not magical, I don't know what is. Anything you want to add to my like, (laughs) (laughs) no, I mean, I, that's definitely, that's definitely what happened. And Mm -hmm. we have been so blessed and, and just flabbergasted by the response. People are so excited about this stuff and didn't really have a way to access it before. And that is so exciting. It's so exciting to be on the forefront of that, to be out there teaching these classes to people who didn't even realize that they were wanting something like this. And one of the the best parts that has have come out of making Carter Hall is that we build, we've built this, um, community with these people, these people who are interested in folklore, want to learn about ghost stories, want to learn about fairy tales, want to learn about ancient British Arthurian legends, mm-hmm. all this <laughs> kinds of stuff, all these kinds of things that are that are out there available for people, but not within the context of a serious class that is also really fun, which is what we try to make Carter Hall classes like. And the people that have have joined us have found us. They're incredibly kind. They've they've bonded together in wonderful ways. We have Facebook groups for all of our classes, and the interactions between people during they, there's a live chat when we're doing our lectures and stuff. It's it's just amazing to see and have people connect to other people. Like, oh, you really like this too. You're really excited by this too. Yeah, I think a lot of the people who find us often feel like they're kind of the odd man out sometimes, Mm -hmm. like just being super interested in folklore or fantasy literature or something like that. And, you know, um, often like, you know, their immediate family or friends are kind of like, okay, that's like your your cute, (laughs) weird hobby. So they, right. Right. I think really um, love getting to be part of a community that isn't like, okay. Where everybody's like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) So Kelly, uh, Kelly's a big Halloween person. I'm a, I'm a Christmas person. And like, (laughs) Both but, good, all good. But, but but right, but like for the same reason. So so I'm British, and so for me, Christmas has the like a spooky element to it that I that I that I love, right? And um, it doesn't really in America, and so Halloween is kind no. of obviously the the, the spooky season in <laughs> yes. America. Um, and I was kind of telling Kelly this, and uh, and and wanting to kind of explore it a little bit more. I also I teach um, Christmas Carol uh, this time of year to my students, and um, I came across Sarah's name in one of the readings I assigned to my um, to my students about um, the Victorian ghost story. Um, and and it's sort of uh, its place in creating the sort of English Christmas, um, and it's sort of like a forgotten element that I, I I also feel is kind of resurfacing in some interesting ways. Um, so I wanted to kind of sell Kelly on the idea that Christmas <laughs> too can be spooky, and um, and explore sort of like where those origins come from because i will say like one of the things that still kind of confuses me and i and i kind of hope you guys can shed some light on this is i kind of know that right the victorians were like a little spooky and they they that christmas was spooky but i'm not i'm not quite clear on like what the what the genealogy is of like how that got into the culture and then kind of also disappeared from the culture uh, so I said a lot there to unpack. So you can start wherever you want, and and sort of <laughs> educate like, us uh, on 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was so much good stuff in there. I could like feel my eyes getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> I'll, I'll start by saying that you're right that in America, we don't usually acknowledge this sort of spooky side of Christmas. It's, which we're mad about. And we're doing yeah, our we're best a little to change. Yeah. It is so much fun. Make Christmas but spooky again. It does. It sort of like creeps in every once in a while. Um, you know, like uh, the lyric in the song, there'll be scary ghost stories. Yeah, in a terrible song that's like not like ago. yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and 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 then of course a Christmas Carol, which is wildly popular in the U.S. Right. But we have had so many people say to us, you know, Christmas Carol is really a weird story. Like, why are there ghosts at Christmas? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And that does. <laughs> and we're like, be... babe, it's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah it's like, you don't even know. <laughs> like, but yeah, in America, I definitely think there is the impression that these are sort of outlier things that they don't, you know, the connection isn't really there. Right. Because we have largely lost this spooky Christmas vibe that was so prominent in England in the Victorian age in particular. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, so Sarah, do you want to uh, jump in about like where that comes from? Sure. So um, you were right. The Victorians were just hella spooky and that is part yeah. of like <laughs> that's why we love them <laughs> yes so actually that was um our other special specialization in our phd programs we right. did folklore and 19th century writ lit so we were like all up in the victorians mm-hmm. and part part of what is going on there is the um the development of the Gothic as a genre or a subgenre, we could get really hairy about how we want to, um, you know, classify it. But the the Gothic story as a convention, um, which was very spooky as well, it, it had there are lots of different markers of the Gothic. Um, the supernatural, the sinister, there are lots of, you know, cellars and dungeons and tall towers and persecuted heroines and dastardly villains. But the Gothic basically, like, solidified into a thing in the very, very late 1700s, early 1800s. And there was a huge boom in the Gothic. There were authors like Anne Radcliffe, um, Mary Shelley, of course, with Frankenstein. And, you know, this interest in the Gothic was just kind of how the Victorian age sort of kicked off. Um, So it started a little bit before the Victorian era, but definitely kind of influenced it. And we did see kind of like a like lessening of like direct interest in Gothic literature for the most part during the Victorian period, but then it surged back again at the very end of the century. But I feel like all of that Gothic weirdness, like just sort of mixed with Christmas in some interesting ways. Um, This is kind of an, an outlier, but I think it's so fascinating. I was talking about this yesterday. Victorian Christmas cards were un- hinge oh yeah they're awesome if, they're incredible they're yeah. so so <laughs> incredible like apparently in the victorian period there were there really weren't conventions for like what a christmas card should be you know nowadays we're like it's a snowman or like it's a you know bear with a scarf and like no shade to all of that that's great but there were no rules and people were sort of trying to one up how weird their Christmas cards were. And like one of the most common things that you would see on a Victorian Christmas card, apparently, were like spooky graveyards Mm -hmm. and like pictures of like 
terrible things happening to children sometimes. Like I saw one yesterday that was like children drinking and I was like, this is, this is a lot. Um, but a lot of them were very morbid um, in a way that like you, you can't send people morbid Christmas cards now or like you could, but I, I don't know uh, how the recipient would well. react. I don't yeah. think it would be received well yeah. most of the time. Like you can't send that to your, your grandparents. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. But, like, that's just one area where you can see like in the material culture of the era, like evidence of how incredibly different like customs around Christmas were. As for uh, Victorian Christmas ghost stories more specifically, there's a long, long history of them that definitely like predates the Victorian period. Like we right. can go all the way back to medieval stories like, you know, arguably Sir Gawain and the Green Knights, um, which is actually like the First events of the story are set during Christmas when right, like, right. Know, kind of yeah, the the Fay Knight comes in, yeah, yep. and is like, okay, chop off my head or you know, do whatever you want, and I'll do it to you in a year. And the guy chops off his head and the knight picks up his head and is like, well, See bye. you next year. <laughs> Christmas time. Merry so Christmas. like that's yeah. Merry Christmas to all. Um yes, so it's really, really old, but it you know, intensified during the Victorian period. And I've been talking for a while now. Brittany, do you want to pick it up? <laughs> sure. So one of the reasons why these stories were so popular leading up into the Victorian period is that it helps, I think, to imagine how life was during winter before electricity, before, you know, uh, central heating and stuff like that. It was a really dark and cold time. And that atmosphere really lends itself well to the ghost story. Yeah. So all throughout Northern Europe, you had people who were in these, you know, in this very cold time, very isolated, probably from other people looking for ways to connect and feel um, you know, like connected to their family and uh, cozy. And the ghost story actually provided a fun way to do that. That was entertaining when there wasn't much else to do, when you didn't have a lot of light, when you were cold and wanted to snuggle up with uh, your family while listening to a spooky story. There was a vibe there that was really nice. And it's interesting when you think about the Victorian age because that was when you know the big industrialization things started happening in England and we started having things like electric lights and ways to uh, centralize not central heating but you know that kind of thing you could be yeah. warmer and uh, there would be more light and the world was changing in a really powerful way and people's reaction to that was often to kind of go back to the things that they thought they were losing. Things like the ghost story around the in the wintertime, where they could recreate that kind of feeling because they could feel it slipping away. And folklorists like to refer to this as, as 11th hour folklore. People are always worried that we're going to lose <laughs> folk traditions and that we have to grab them and hold on to them as tight as we can. Right. Yeah. It's a very human reaction to want to do that. And so while all this, this new stuff was happening, it really makes sense that people sort of started gravitating back towards the older traditions. And one of the biggest people who was really promoting that was Charles Dickens. Right. 
he wrote so many ghost stories uh, for Christmas and really helped create the trend of of getting back to that Christmas ghost story as a tradition on Christmas Eve, especially. Yeah, he really popularized it. He actually edited tons of ghost stories, like way more than he actually wrote himself, although he did write um, a considerable number of explicitly Christmas ghost stories because he was like, oh, people will buy this. Like it was a very, um, (laughs) it was a very monetary. Yeah, he was a savvy People don't realize that about him. Yeah. So he was like, oh, I can make money here. And there'd been a pre-existing tradition of um, printing Christmas ghost stories in Victorian periodicals and stuff. But he was like, this thing that's already happening, I'm going to do more of it. And I'm going to do, I'm going to do it better. And so he definitely was just a massive figure for making it more popular, more visible, editing the work of so many other authors. And even after he kind of pulled back on it and was like, okay, I'm a little bit burned out on on this whole Christmas thing, um, he'd already kicked off or reinvigorated the trend so much that many other authors continued to write Christmas ghost stories at a much higher volume for, I mean, God, at least another 40 years or so after that. Yeah, yeah. I also think it's important to remember you you mentioned you know that he was these were being printed in periodicals because of advances in printing techniques people mm-hmm. had access to that stuff and, and they had the leisure really, time to read it or more yeah, they people had, the had t- leisure they had more time, leisure to, time read to read it there were more people who were able to read there was uh, literacy was going up exponentially and buying books and newspapers and periodicals and things like that were things that more people could do. What is it about like Christmas and ghosts then, right? So what is the kind of connection that happens here? Because it doesn't, I mean, and okay, so maybe this is because I'm American, but it's one of those <laughs> things where it just doesn't fit neatly in my head, right? Um, And maybe that's because I'm used to kind of the saccharine, like, sweet Christmas. Um, And I can think about, like, A Christmas Carol and, like, the moralizing that happens there and, you know, the messaging and the need to kind of think in the future and to be kinder and kind of the pieces that are there. And I'm I'm thinking Muppets here is unfortunately (laughs) the Christmas Carol that I'm thinking, right? (laughs) Right, like, this is the one that is in my mind. And Michael Caine, who's doing the best he can while yeah. surrounded by Muppets, right? Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, what is it that kind of ties those together so nicely? Like, wh- how do those mm-hmm. work together? And, and like, why does that work together for an audience, I wonder? You know, and I, and I hear what you're saying about, like, the environment, right, and the ability to print and to read and have the leisure time. But I'm wondering kind of thematically how those work, too, um, and what people are getting from that audience-wise. That's a a really great question. Um, I think part of it, and this is so hard to wrap your head around now, I feel like, as as an American experiencing Christmas the way that we do here, is just that Christmas, you know, in the 1800s, especially early 1800s, was just really not like it is now. It hadn't solidified kind of into the same set of tropes. Um, It just like people didn't expect the same things from Christmas at all, really, that we do now. Um, You know, 
Christmas trees really didn't start being a big thing until like mid, like late Victorian period. Um, I think they were 18, really popularized. 1840s. Yeah. So, I mean, like Christmas trees weren't really part of our expectations for Christmas at that time. Um, it being like super saccharine or even super family oriented weren't necessarily key um, in, in the way that they are now. Okay. So if you kind of just empty <laughs> Christmas right. of all, all of the expectations that, that we currently have, um, it opens up that space for so many different things to to fill it up. And it's kind of like I said earlier about the bizarreness of the Victorian Christmas cards, like that kind of reflects how um, like all the different things that Christmas could kind of hold at that point. As for why it's so often veered spooky and and why there were so many um, like ghost stories and the tradition of ghost stories around Christmas, I, I think that a huge part of it is that much like Halloween, which is, you know, now our, our major spooky holiday, right? Um, it is another kind of liminal time. You know, we're approaching the end of the year. Christmas itself could be perceived as a liminal time. And any time that is like that, that's about the transition from like one time to another, one thing to another, is a solid place for ghost stories to latch on to. Um mm-hmm. You know, it's a time where you feel like, you know, the the veil might be a little bit thinner. It's a time that might invite uh, reflection, um, might invite storytelling. And I think so often those kinds of times and places tend to attract stories about the supernatural. Ghost stories in general were just popular in the 19th century. There are a lot of ghost stories about <laughs> during that time. Yeah. And one of the big sort of changes with them is that writers really started to realize that ghost stories could be used to talk about um, sort of psychological issues in a way mm-hmm. that they, it's not that they hadn't been able to do that before, but ghost stories were like, oh, there's a ghost, it's scary. But then people like Henry James came along and wrote something like The Turn of the Screw. Yeah. Which, where, by the way, is also a Christmas story. <laughs> which is a Christmas yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. The, the frame for that story is they're telling this scary story at Christmas. And a lot of it has to do with like um, with issues about the mind and what is real and what is perceivable, which was also things that were very um, at the forefront of Victorian science and Victorian thinking in the highest circles people were really interested in psychology and understanding more about how the human body and brain work and so you got a lot of these stories that could be read on you know the the main level the surface level of being like a scary ghost story but also on these like underlying psychological levels which became really fascinating to people during the Victorian age. And you get a you get a lot of these really interesting stories out of that. But I also think that, and again, I will go back to Dickens for this, but it was, ghost stories also became a way to explore not only the mind and like how the mind works, but also what was important to being a human, what was important to humanity as a whole, how people could, um, understand morality and things like that right um this is also the time when the whole idea that that ghosts had unfinished business and could come back 
that was really that started to be more prominent too and the question of like how do you live a good life especially in a world that was becoming more and more secular yeah there's there's a lot so like a couple of things that you've said here is i think really illuminating um and and i want to follow up on one element of this and get your thoughts on it but but obviously like the the yule tradition if we're going to go like way far back right um plays a role in this like one of the things about sort of the northern european christmas as i think like a construct is that it also it is a it's a battle between the darkness and the cold and and light and and warmth and goodness right and the a lot of the indulgence of it a lot of the sort of materialism of it is is also part of that battle and so kind of personifying that battle um in the form of a ghost story kind of makes makes sense to me uh in that respect and i can kind of understand also why it doesn't make intuitive sense to um (laughs) to americans right um and then also specifically like with victorians and sort of the way that their attitudes about life and religion and everything else are, are shifting and changing and the popularity of ghost stories but the one thing that that i think is really again illuminating here is the question that i've always had is like where did they go where did this tradition die out and i've been kind of on this sort of idea that it went from like dickens like the 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 golden age of this was through like mr james right so like early early 20th century um Mm -hmm. i did a uh, a piece a couple of years ago on John Maysfield and and the Box of Delights, which is like one of my favorite stories and has a lot of that like pagan, right? Sort of like scary wolves and that sort of thing uh, with, with Christmas. And that's early 20th century as well. And so like, I guess the question that I, that I or sort of the, the conclusion that I'm kind of drawing here and see, and see, see what you think is like, you know, Brittany, you mentioned central heating. Like, is that what happened? Did like, is it, did, so, so Christmas needed a villain because it had heroes and the heroes were like light and love and goodness and Jesus, baby Jesus and all that sort of thing. Right. And it needed the, it needed the ghosts and scariness and threat. And suddenly we have central heating and we have electricity and we have light all the time. And the, the need for the villain go away. Is that sort of in your understanding, like what happened sometime mid 20th century? Was it the wars? What sort of changed in people's minds as far as you understand that? I, I really love the way that you phrased all of that. I think that's great. I do genuinely think that things like central heating did have a huge impact on it. Like I, I really do. Like I, but I think it's true. Yeah, like I, I, mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's just that, but I, I do think that that is a huge factor. And I yeah. also think part of it is that in the U.S. at least, um, this whole kind of all all of the stuff that we're talking about from sort of Victorian uh, ghost Christmas stuff got funneled into Halloween. Like it just, you know, yeah, it made its way over to the other holiday. I think that's part of it. Central heating is part of it. Um, other factors as well, but I, I don't know. I mean, if, if I, if I had to make an argument, if I had to like stake my claim on it, I would probably say those are the two, two of the biggest factors. Hmm. The only other factor that I'm thinking here is, well, you mentioned, you mentioned the wars, like the big, the great war and then the world war two, the, um, and that was very 
vague things that go bump in the night became less scary mm. after something so very terrifying sure. happened. Yeah. Um. In and I think that I think that during those times, Christmas was really emphasized as this time of caring and giving, and you know the um you know ceasefires and things like that, and so. I, I think that there was definitely a shift during that time period of people thinking of Christmas as like this time of goodness and happiness and familyness and togetherness that pushed the ghost story sort of aside. The only other thing that occurs to me is that as we enter into the 20th century, we start getting more forms of other media, movies and television and things that are ghost things that render ghost stories just not as scary and mm -hmm. as they used to be and it becomes harder to justify sitting around telling ghost stories on christmas eve when you could be watching a movie or seeing a a tv show about you know something really happy and fun while the lights are on while you're warm and cozy in your house and i think you you lose the the desire for the the Christmas ghost story a little bit with all of those things too. Yeah, I wonder about how we kind of bring the spooky back into Christmas, yeah. right? Like how we bring, <laughs> how we do that, that kind of shift, right? Um, you know, listeners of our podcast know that I have like the giant skeletons in my yard mm -hmm. that are currently decorated for Christmas, right? They have um, reindeer antlers and <laughs> I have a Santa skeleton um, okay you're my hero <laughs> so, so, my neighbors probably don't think so but like um but it's like my like attempt here right to like make christmas a little bit more intriguing to me than it would be otherwise right so that it's just like you know we're gonna make the skeletons a part of like the christmas celebration here i almost moved one of the eight foot um, skeletons in to be by the christmas tree but i couldn't <laughs> quite like get my partner on I'm board for this yeah no it's one of those where it was like it was a hard sell um and my family will only go so far in the um shenanigans that are involved with this but oh man i would have you supported know, you a thousand yeah, percent oh, well i appreciate that i'm gonna pass that on um so i i wonder like how we like make it spookier again like how we like bring this back beyond like a christmas carol and i wonder if you all have any like ideas as to how to how to do that right how to um re-enchant it in a kind of way um tim burton would like to know that as well by the way that's yeah that's well i mean well i think about yeah i mean i think about tim burton he's but been it's trying like, to make like, hashtag christmas spooky again yeah, for a long time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I love that uh, Christmas Carol has stuck around and remains so beloved. Um, I think just pointing out, you know, w when you can, if you want to, just the fact that like, it is a ghost story and kind of yeah. drawing attention mm -hmm. to it can yeah. be a good way to sort of um, perhaps open people up to the, the tradition um, more broadly. As for like other stuff to do, um, I 100% do read uh, Christmas ghost stories during this time of year. I read them out loud to my family and they tolerate me. They're very kind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I choose to just uh, straightforwardly inflict the tradition upon them. 
So there's that. But I mean, there are also ways that you you can bring it into into your decor. Um, I, I still am totally with you on bringing in the eight foot skeleton and putting it next to the tree. But like on a you know <laughs> lower key level, like my my favorite Christmas wreath, which sadly is downstairs, so I can't show you right now. But it, um, you know, it's kind of a standard Christmas wreath, but it has a giant black velvet bow on it. And it has a little ghosty like hanging down <laughs> from the top in the middle. And I'm just like, this is perfect. This is the incarnation of of the Victorian ghost story, um, you know, that I can hang on my wall. So, you know, I think there are, there are different ways to do it that are a little more, um, you know, ham-fisted and hardcore, like actually reading them and other ways that you can kind of more gently uh, invite them in. I love that. I, I I think that that's that's really true. The only thing that I would add is that I really encourage you to, if you do sit down and try to do like a ghost story uh, marathon or something for Christmas, <laughs> you know, really embrace the uh, the atmosphere that they would have had. You know, like uh, light some candles, make turn it off dark. the central heating. <laughs> yeah, turn, maybe, maybe, <laughs> wouldn't go that heating. far. Wouldn't <laughs> go too far. Here. <laughs> But, you know, get cuddled up in a blanket and sit together without, you know, the the media influence that we always have. And yeah. I think that doing that will sort of get you in that mood a little bit, too. Yeah. And if maybe people in the household are, are game, like really only if they're game, maybe <laughs> inviting them to find their own way to, like, bring the spookiness back. And yeah. I don't know, that could translate to, you know... I don't know, macabre gingerbread man cookies or something, or like, you know, whether it's like decor, food, um, like verbal folklore, there there are many different, you know, routes you could take into it. But I I really do like what you said, Brittany, about like creating the atmosphere. I I do think that. (laughs) Well, I I, sort of picking up with what Kelly was saying, and, you know, I made the Tim Burton reference, but like, I kind of of mean it. I, I think that there is... There is um, a desire within, especially like American audiences and modern audiences, um, that has sort of been unspoken for some time of like bringing some of that back in. Um, I think the popularity of Tim Burton and like the popularity of The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is like tangentially Tim Burton, I'm not going to get into that. But, uh, you know, it's the, the idea of like, it's a Halloween movie. No, it's a Christmas movie. Like, no, it's both. And they're the same thing. And like, and, and, it, and, it, and there's a crossover there. You know, Tim Burton's popularity is like a spooky Christmas guy with like Everest's hands and 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 Batman Returns and and others. And also, I think like I've noticed again, kind of as an educator, um, a, a a resurgence in Krampus and the idea oh, yeah. of like the Christmas villains and the scary Christmas. Like Perkta hasn't really come back yet, but uh, wait till Americans find out about her. But <laughs> but but there does seem to be. I mean, Christmas horror, I think, is also something that's sort of related to this that is an interesting subgenre that is popular as well. Um, mm-hmm. But it almost it almost seems that there's people within the sort of modern American um, family commercial Christmas that there's this un sort of acknowledged desire that people have of like bringing back in some scariness and spookiness and like a little bit of horror. And um, it's sort of been kind of sitting there, right? It just sort of is, it's like people have kind of tried, like they've made a Krampus movie, but like it feels like there's a desire for more and, and how maybe we can kind of 
your thoughts about like pushing that desire further <laughs> and like you know people kind of making it normal as as part of the american tradition you know that is that is such a good point um that you made and i don't know if this really speaks to answering that question but it's what i started thinking about um as you were talking which is, I, I wonder if maybe this desire for, um, you know, maybe a, a spookier Christmas or, you know, imperfect or villainous Christmas or something might be connected to, I think, the incredible pressure that many of us might feel to have Christmas be perfect or mm-hmm. perfectly beautiful. happy, beautiful, perfectly beautiful. And, yeah. you know, feeling like if you don't live up to that, if you aren't just incandescently radiantly yeah. happy thanks every hallmark times. movie yeah <laughs> i know right but like i i think i i know how many people have a, a lot of feelings a lot of baggage i mean even in some cases you know trauma around christmas around the holidays yeah and i really wonder if perhaps this sort of this interest in a slightly different style of Christmas might be connected to that. Just feeling like, oh my gosh, we can't, we can't, we can't live up to this. Like we are only human and we probably won't be radiantly happy for, you know, the entirety of December every year. And, you know, that doesn't make you a failure. I think maybe just wanting to um, make that incarnate in some way and like the way that you practice or, or observe the holidays. That's so I don't think point. that answered it at all. No, that's I, that's a really great point. I'm really glad you said that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I think that's really I think that's really fascinating. What I was thinking as you were talking is is there is I I too have noticed sort of this impulse to bring a little bit of the spookiness of Christmas back, and what it reminds me of is a very uh, folklorist type of answer. But one of the things that folklore really tries to emphasize is that or or make people understand is that sort of in society at large, we have this idea that tradition is this thing that things that happened in the past, like this old stuff and that we steadfastly adhere to because it's traditional. But in reality, tradition is a really dynamic force. It is constantly changing. It's adapting and sometimes we'll bring stuff back from the past and sometimes we'll change things around and sometimes things will be different than they were and sometimes they'll be the same and all of that is still tradition it's all part of what makes tradition what it is and how it's such a powerful force in in you know groups of of humans and i think that you know we're we're bringing a little bit of that uh, older kind of style of christmas uh, back and making it new again, which is some, you know, which is just all part of how it works. And yeah. that's exciting and fun. I was just thinking, John, that you should have a Krampus on the shelf instead of your elf on the shelf. And it's a different, it's a different well, maybe vibe. next year Krampus will like come with the elf and they'll like be on opposite sides of the house and uh, opposite you know, sides chasing and each other the way around. You can make it work. That's yeah. a really good I idea. Mean, that would be <laughs> yeah. a way better way to scare children into <laughs> doing what you want Yes. the way it should yeah yeah oh the elf didn't come today but krampus did sorry guys yeah. Uh-oh. Sorry, kids. I'm sorry yeah I'm just the mundane horrors of the elf on the shelf right um anyway so um i wonder if you guys can and and you know you obviously don't have to sit here and open a book and um 
uh, give the whole tale. But do you have um, any, aside from A Christmas Carol, uh, if people want to know some of the other uh, highlights of this genre, um, what some of your favorites are? And if you want to give us like brief plot rundowns of what <laughs> happens, <laughs> uh, that, oh, that would be do. fine too. <laughs> we do. We most certainly do. Yes. Um, so my, my favorite is called The Kit Bag by Algernon Blackwood. And this one's actually oh, from 1908. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you know that one? I know Algernon Blackwood. I don't know that story. Oh my God. Okay. So I, this is one, you know, Brittany and I were looking into this um, pretty in depth a couple of years ago, just trying to find some really good ones. And I saw this title and I was like, the kit bag that doesn't sound <laughs> that doesn't sound scary at all <laughs> it sounds like you're going to the gym it's like this soccer practice yeah <laughs> you know, right? okay it scared me so much to be fair i'm a complete chicken like okay. hilariously Brittany and i are both complete chickens but um it is like i, I don't want to spoil it but it's about a guy who is defending a murderer in court basically and the absolute chaos that this unleashes in a supernatural fashion right before Christmas. He's about to go on a trip and things get very, very weird in his house. And it is so good and so incredibly creepy to me. You can find it and read it for free online. Um, but I actually, um, would you like to hear a, a paragraph from it that I just think is really good? Yes. Okay, so uh, actually this goes back to something that Brittany was talking about um, a while ago, but about how um, Victorian ghost stories really started to kind of get interested in like psychology and like the way that the human mind works and like the way that fear works. Mm -hmm. I, I love how this one talks about that. So it is difficult to say exactly at when, what point fear begins when the causes of that fear are not plainly before the eyes. Impressions gather on the surface of the mind, film by film, as ice gathers upon the surface of still water, but often so lightly that they claim no definite recognition from the consciousness. Then a point is reached where the accumulated impressions become a definite emotion, and the mind realizes that something has happened. With something of a start, Johnson suddenly recognized that he felt nervous, oddly nervous, also, that for some time past, the causes of this feeling had been gathering slowly in his mind, but that he had only just reached the point where he was forced to acknowledge them. <laughs> and I just, I love that description of like how it feels when you start to get scared and yeah. like you don't really realize it when it's first <laughs> happening. And then it just sort of breaks upon you and you're like, oh, something oh, no. is not right. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I really, really enjoy that one. And again, that's called The Kit Bag by Algernon Blackwood. Um, I mentioned uh, Henry James' The Turn of the Screw yeah. before, which is a wonderful story. It's not really a short story, but um, it's a bit long. Novella, but, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah I, I think, think yeah. novella. Um, but yeah, that one's so interesting to me because the story of it really isn't super Christmassy, but he gives it this frame of people at a Christmas party and this guy telling this story as a Christmas ghost story, which I think is really interesting. So I definitely recommend that one. Another one that Sarah and I really like is uh, one that is called Smee by A.M. Burridge. I love that one. Yeah, I love this one. This one's a little later too. It's like 1930s, I think. But um, 
it is a Christmas. It's, it takes place like a little bit earlier than that. And people are playing a Christmas game of hide and seek. And <laughs> they are having a lovely, you know, Speaking of traditions fun. that it's we don't spooky. have anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a little bit spooky because they're in this like really big house. And um, it turns it turns out. So the, the game is that one one of them is the murderer. And they go around murdering people as part of this game. It's like a, it's like hide and seek. It's a little bit different, but it slowly becomes apparent that there is another player in the game that is not one of the people at the party, and is not maybe a person at all. Ooh. And it is another one that is very, very unsettling to read and kind of creeps up on you in the similar way that the kit bag does. I love that story. It's so I love that one too. unsettling. Well, another one I'll just throw in there for good measure is a more recent one by Jeanette Winterson called Dark Christmas. And I really like that one too. That's another one that is just like the, the way that like the, the fear and like the horror kind of like creeps up on the protagonist is, is very good. And it's much more um, contemporary. Like it's, it's set, you know, roughly now, but it's a a really, really excellent Christmas ghost story. We've also mentioned MR James uh, a couple of times already, but pretty much any of his stories, ghost stories are perfect for Christmas. A lot of them have been made into like Christmas specials on the BBC and they're so fun to listen to. The one that creeps me out more than any other one is called the Mesotint, which is another one that is, Sarah and I clearly like these ones that seem very like <laughs> lighthearted at first. And then it's like all of a sudden they take a turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's another one like that. Um, yeah, I also I want to I want to give a shout out to like, again, my theory that there is an itch for this and it's coming back. Um, I read to my daughter a couple years ago, maybe last year, um, the uh, the Christmas Witch book by Aubrey Plaza. I heard about that. Yes. Which has also now a sequel called The Return of the Christmas Witch. And Excellent. Um, yeah, it's great. And, it, and it, it deals and it's very sort of like Yule-ish and like pagan and uh a little bit spooky but like very sort of you know enchanted and um oh i love that i want to look this up immediately that sounds wonderful (laughs) so if you are if you're looking for something for your kids to uh enjoy older kids i think because it's a little like not not like dark but like not it's it's kind of emotionally complicated let's let's put it that way um but uh that's a good one too anyway um kelly any any last thoughts before for questions i don't think so i think this gives me a lot to spookify yeah you got a lot to read with. yeah no <laughs> it does yeah i'm very and excited our work here is done yeah <laughs> no except that it except that what i have to admit here is that i am a horror fan who also gets like completely creeped out by horror so i'm gonna read these and then have nightmares yeah. so yes, um, but still read sorry. them anyway no it's okay I completely this understand is, this is the way it works for me yeah like i'm gonna do it anyway but it's gonna be one of those things that then I'm going to be like, did I hear a sound in my house? Do I now have ghosts? Oh, you know? <laughs> I know. I, I accidentally watched a movie last week that was like more scary than I thought it was going to be. And like, I was a thousand percent up at like 3.30 a.m. like checking out like the, the dark shape in the corner, just no. being like, are you a cat? 
you're yeah. a cat. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah right. Or right ahead, cats. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> cool. It's cool. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's one of those things, too, where it's going to be like, is that a noise that I need to consider? And I'd be like, no, the kids' rooms are closer. It's fine. It's right. Fine. Like, you know, it'll be okay. It'll be great. All right. Don't get them first. <laughs> first. It's great. It's really funny because, like, again, I, I think that one of the, it's, one of those stories that I don't think people realize is kind of a ghost horror story in a weird way is is the is the sort of the the origin story of kind of the modern Santa, which is a visit from St. Nicholas, you know, Clement Clark Moore. Oh, yeah. It's about this like weird elf man who shows up in this like mysterious dark night and makes a bunch of noises on the roof. And it's, you know, it's got all these kind of like <laughs> Thanks for right? that. Right. Yeah. But it's got this kind of and like when you think about Santa, he like shows up at your house and like breaks in and like does this mysterious thing yep. with magic and yep. right and there, there does seem to be a kind of um a sanitized element of that sort of of that deep past that is uh yeah i never thought about how creepy that actually is yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well because when it kelly really says is. like if i hear a creaking i'm like yeah it might be santa who knows right he doesn't, <laughs> he, doesn't he make creaking noises oh, um, but like seriously that i think that's why nightmare before christmas works so well like Absolutely. it draws attention to how weird all of this actually is Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. 100%. <laughs> um, well, guys, this has been so much fun and so interesting. It really has. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, it's been so much fun talking to you guys, too. Yeah. Thank you so much for reaching out. Um, and we'd, we'd love to talk with you another time and hear more about, like, you know, your work and stuff, too, because yeah. you guys are super, super cool. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Aw, nobody calls us cool. Thanks. Um, nobody does. No. <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> We do, but we but we have to admit we're pretty big nerds. So yeah, I don't know how yeah, far yeah. that goes. Yeah. We'll take yeah. it. It doesn't yeah. matter. I'm gonna I'm gonna float on that all day long. So it's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if people want to, I mean, you got a lot of different avenues. I think uh, for people to explore your work. If people want to connect with Carter Hall, take classes, uh, interact with you two, where do you want to direct people? Um. Honestly, the best way to hear about what we're up to is to get on our newsletter. Um, we send really ridiculous, uh, informative, <laughs> uh, hopefully fun emails. Um, so that that's the best way to hear what's up. But um, to just jump right in, we have a monthly book club that is so much fun. Uh, we read all sorts of different things that are connected in some way to folklore or to fantasy. Um, in a couple of days, we're having our December book club and um, CSE Cooney, who just um, won the World, World Fantasy Award for her incredible oh. book, St. Death's Daughter, uh, will be joining us live to talk about her gorgeous, gorgeous book. So um, the book club is always a good time. We're always running new classes, um, doing challenges, yeah. all, all kinds of stuff. So just all that stuff's on our website at carterhallschool.com. And then right now we have a little mini course that's available uh, until January 1st. So on winter folklore and a lot of spooky winter folklore, actually. Spooky, lots of spooky winter folklore, but also wintry fairy tales and bunch of other stuff it's just a little mini course but it's really fun cool awesome um thank you so much and uh merry and spooky christmas to you both <laughs> merry and spooky christmas to you too <laughs> thank you so much for having thank us so much. thank you